Welcome to the Medical Dads Podcast, a parenting podcast by two dads who happen to be medical doctors. I'm one of your co-hosts, Dr. Stuart Harmon, a pediatric emergency room physician and father of four from Ottawa, Ontario. I want to be in the podcast. Daddy, do you know what you're doing? Can I play a game on your computer? Daddy, where's mommy? And I'm your other co-host, Dr. David Shu, a family doctor from Toronto, Ontario. Welcome aboard. All right. Welcome back to our show. Hello, Dave. And hello to all our listeners. Yes. Well, do we have any listeners? Hello to our listener. Two, actually, because your wife will listen as well as mine. Well, actually, I had to force her to listen to the first two. Anyways, the topic for today is flying on airplanes with children. All right. It's a timely topic because we seem to talk about this issue every few months in our house when we start debating when the next holiday is going to be as you forget how hard the last one was. Let's dive in. All right. So parents have a lot of questions about flying on airplanes with kids. Initially, right when you buy your airplane ticket, the thing that comes up right away is where do you sit on an airplane with children? Like you look at that little map that they show you online and you can pick where you sit. You can do aisle, you can do window seat, you can line them up all in a row, or sometimes you have no choice. You got to split it up. Like you have four kids and two parents so I don't think there's a road I can accommodate all of you. So how do you guys arrange it usually if you have a choice? Uh, if we had a choice, but because of the size of our travel group, we, we don't generally get exactly what we want. But if we did, I think the best seating arrangement would be the children sitting side by side, preferably towards the back of the plane <laughs> with my wife and I comfortably in first class. <laughs> yeah, uh, constraints on uh, budget and airline policy Always, always preclude that option. Uh, but we also do well when we get two rows of three with a parent sitting in the middle of the row and a child on either side. Ah. Although I suppose you could switch that up and sit in the aisle uh, if as a parent you thought you were going to use the washroom more often than your child. It's probably not recommended to become a parent if you're going to the bathroom more often than your children. <laughs> well, actually, I feel most of us start off with the child going to the bathroom more often. Uh, but then you reach <laughs> a certain tipping point. <laughs> Hopefully, we're not parenting toddlers when we reach that tipping point. Although, I did see a 74-year-old patient this week with a 10-year-old daughter. Whoa! Well done! (laughs) He deserves a special medical dad salute. (laughs) He the man. Well, maybe we can do a separate podcast about flying with benign prostatic hypertrophy (laughs) or small bladder syndrome. At the end of the day, of course, you don't always have control over exactly where you get to sit. And then you're just hoping that if your children have to be next to a stranger, it's uh, somebody with a fair amount of patience. Then it really depends on luck of the draw. Like some, peop- some people just don't like children and they can't remember ever being a child and they're just disgruntled the whole time. And, so, and everybody else is probably okay. Yeah, I mean, most, people, most people get it. Uh, and then there's always going to be those people who don't appreciate it when I ask them to watch my kids while I go stretch my legs for an hour and a half. <laughs> when you took your kids flying, like another question a lot of parents have is they take their children before age two. Like a lot of people, when we when we had our first child, they were like, oh, you got to take them on trips all the time the first two years because you don't have to pay for that seat. So it's like a free trip for the kid. So there are people who really capitalize on this and travel frequently, like before the second birthday. Right. Yeah. Two seats for or three seats for the price of two. Did you do that or did you ever end up buying them their own seat? No. Before age two, we never ended up buying them their own 
their own seed. In other words, uh, whenever there was the possibility of one of them flying for free, we always took that on that option. <laughs> and this isn't my advice in terms of saying it's more fun to fly with a toddler on your lap. Uh, uh, this, this is, is more like it, like financial savings advice. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, if if money were no object, I would I would definitely insist on buying a, an extra seat for the child, if not several extra seats for the child. <laughs> now, you are a physician, correct, right? You could afford the seat if necessary. I can see why you might think that, but <laughs> there might be some misconceptions <laughs> about the world of pediatric emergency medicine. Speaking from the family doctor perspective, my wife and I, we have never bought a seat for a child before the age two either, although we regretted it a lot the last time because my son, he can't sit still, and we got we had to hold him between the two of us and it was just brutal. I think he was about not quite two years old yet. He was probably like three or three or four months from turning two and just wouldn't sit still. And we can't put him on our lap. He's wriggling around and it's just, and it was a short flight. It was two and a half hours <laughs> felt like 16 hours. <laughs> yeah. We've fallen into that trap too, thinking we were clever, uh, squeezing in a flight just before the child turned two, <laughs> save some money. Uh, but I have to admit uh, with an antsy toddler jumping on my legs and stomping on my crotch, uh, <laughs> I did start to wonder, was that really clever? <laughs> Does this count as a win? Definitely not. Now, it, since you and I have probably flown a number of times with our kids at this point, so we're probably seasoned vets at this game. You especially with the four kids. I can't even imagine what that's like. We've done a fair bit of travel. I have family in England, so... We've done that trip, which is about a seven-hour flight from uh, from Ottawa, where we live. I have to say, though, we've never done one of these Ottawa to China trips where it's 13, 14 hours or, you know, Ottawa to Australia. Which which is actually probably the hallmark of an expert of traveling with children, that you avoid, you avoid inevitable disasters. <laughs> true, true. <laughs> I'll take that. Um, based on our experiences or your experiences, let's give the audience some tips. Like, what are things that you think that would serve them well to know in advance before they plan their first trip on the plane with their kids? Well, let's start with keeping kids occupied and entertained on an airplane. This is important because uh, when kids are bored in confined spaces, they often try to entertain themselves by annoying each other or worse, annoying you. <laughs> One trick that we've copied from parents more prepared than us that goes beyond bringing coloring books and doodle pads is to stop off at the dollar store before your trip. You can pick up a bunch of little toys or activities, bring them with you on the plane, and then slowly dole them out as necessary when the kids are getting fidgety or restless. And it's nice because these are not high stakes toys. If they get left behind or lost on the plane, it's not like there's a lot of sentimental attachment to them. So, you know, c'est la vie. <laughs> now, if you're really on the ball, you wrap these little toys in wrapping paper or tissue paper before you get on the plane. It buys you more time as they're unwrapping it and getting excited about a little present. So you basically make it seem like it's Christmas for them every five minutes. Exactly. A dollar store Christmas miracle. <laughs> Although you don't even have to go to those lengths. We've had a lot of success just grabbing a bag the day of, going into their bedrooms and finding all the little toys that they've forgotten about that fell behind the bed or at the back of the closet. And... When they're on a plane with not much else to do and you pull out these little toys, they seem exciting. The kids want to play with them. They almost want to fight over them. <laughs> yeah, it's like, Daddy, why did you wrap my uh, rubber ducky? Like, <laughs> <laughs> It's 
actually a good opportunity too to do something with all those loot bag and McDonald's Happy Meal toys. They're just taking up space and getting stepped on. That sounds like pretty good advice because I think most parents, if they're at all like us, have millions of these McDonald's toys lying around their house. Oh man, the main reason my wife avoids McDonald's isn't because of the health effects or the food, but because of the accumulation of these little plastic toys. <laughs> oh, we have the opposite. Like we actually encourage going to McDonald's because you pick up those toys and you don't have to buy real toys and Mastermind instead and saves you a lot of money in the long run. So your kids end up completing the set when they say new toy each week, collect all 12. Well, to be fair, Grandma is the one collecting the complete set and then divvying it out to the kids. <laughs> well, we'll put a pin in that for now and come back to it when we cover childhood obesity on our podcast series. <laughs> now, now, now. McDonald's is pretty healthy these days. You can get the chicken wrap and skim milk. There's all sorts of things on a menu that you may never order. Yeah, I, I suspect the Canadian Pediatric Society is not going to back us up on your take your kids to McDonald's <laughs> philosophy. Well, if the if the Canadian Pediatric Society was watching how I parent my kids, there'd be a lot of things they wouldn't back me up on. But that's what the point of this show is, because we're going to tell people the real story of what parenting is like. Absolutely. Absolutely. The Medical Dads podcast. Advice you could trust. Sponsored by McDonald's. Supersize your kids. <laughs> and that does sort of take us to the next tactic for keeping your kids occupied on the plane. And that's unapologetic, unlimited screen time. <laughs> now, I'd like to point out, I believe that the Canadian and the American Pediatric Society have some outlandish recommendation of zero screen time for children under a certain age. Interesting point of fact, the American Academy of Pediatrics actually changed their guidelines not that long ago. So they used to say no screen time at all for children under two and a maximum of two hours a day for children older than two. Right. Well, they've re-examined those guidelines and they've altered them because... It's humanly impossible? <laughs> well, it is for this human. I, those guidelines were developed in an era where screen time mostly meant television in some form or the other, uh, and maybe some computers. But nowadays, screens are so ubiquitous in everybody's lives. <laughs> Children are expected to use screens to do their homework, and that right there could blow right past their two-hour two -hour daily maximum. So now the guidelines are refocused on what you do with the screen instead of just how long you're doing it. Oh, that, that's new. I did not know that. So now parents have a free pass. Well, for children two to five years of age, they still do suggest a limit. They recommend one hour of, of good quality programming or screen time per day. Children under 18 months now, they make an allowance for them to have a video chat. But for children five years and older, it's really been refocused on developing good screen usage habits and providing high quality screen time when i was growing up high quality screen time would mean something with like better graphics you know like a <laughs> video game that had like 16 colors instead of two colors is that what you're talking about here nope nope quality content not quality image uh, I, however uh, letting your children do their homework or play games on a monochrome monitor uh, <laughs> is child abuse <laughs> In our family, this screen time, we don't, we try to limit the screen time on a regular basis at home. So the airplane ride is actually good because the kids are so not used to getting screen time that they just gobble it up. So that helps a lot on airplanes. Indeed, indeed. And I'll remind parents to load up your devices with whatever shows your children are going to want to watch before you fly. Because you don't want to realize at 30,000 feet <laughs> that you don't have much of an internet connection. Right. So 
so you can stick around. We'll do a follow-up episode and teach people how to download shows offline from Netflix. <laughs> yeah, and all those uh, Disney Blu-rays you bought, most of those come with a digital download code. <laughs> I actually prefer that they actually play some games because when they start watching a show, they actually can't hear a thing on the airplane because the din is so loud and you can't turn the show up super loud if, unless you want to like really disrupt the people sitting next to you. So like, I don't know how you deal with it, but like, inevitably my wife and I, we end up bringing one headphone between like the four of us. So one kid's got one in their left ear, one in the right ear, and then their ears are tiny. It doesn't even fit. So I don't think they can hear a thing, but they're so deprived of TV on a regular basis that they're willing to watch silent cartoons. Yeah, we, we worry about their hearing with regular headphones. So we buy the over the ear ones that have a volume limiting setting on them. But then same problem, they can't hear anything. So then you see them squishing the earphones against their ear, trying to force some sound in. And they've got such screen desperation. They're willing to make do with any moving image behind a piece of glass. To, to be fair, I, I've, I've lived like, I'm pretty sure most dads here have lived screen desperation. It happens in those first few months when your child is born and you're the one that has to like hold them while they're trying to get to sleep and you can't make any noise. So you end up holding like your little, your iPhone in front of you and you're just watching something and you don't know what's going on. Yeah, that's why most games are designed to be played on your phone with one hand. And why they invented closed captioning. Yeah, so traveling sometimes brings some of those those lessons back. Yep. So you get the kids some toys, you get them some games, and then you, you get them the screen time. Let's say you've done all that now, and you've used up your daily allowance of screen time, whatever it is. What else can you do with kids on the plane? Or is that it? <laughs> well, let's not forget that with kids, right up there with the complaint of, I'm bored, is the complaint of, I'm hungry. And one tends to follow the other. So bring snacks, lots of snacks. Food is key on an airplane. Yep. Goldfish crackers, Cheerios, whatever you can bring that airport security isn't going to confiscate. Right. So all the junk food that you don't normally feed them, you can feed them. Just like all the screen time they don't normally get, they can get. And all the toys that they don't normally play with, they're playing with in the airport. Like this is just a free for all. Except don't bring anything messy. No spaghetti sauce. I, I have a bit of advice for uh, parents or anyone flying on an airplane, really. Okay. Make sure you bring some instant noodles. Noodle. This is a life-saving thing on, an air, on a long airplane flight. Really? It's partly because my children love noodles and I love noodles. And we all love instant noodles, but we rarely eat it at home because it's super unhealthy. But on an airplane flight, because it's a dried good, you're allowed to bring it from home. So you can pick whatever flavors you like. And all you need is the hostess to pour hot water for you. This actually, the last time we went on a trip, we were coming back from St. Lucia mm -hmm. and they ran out of food on the flight. There was no dinner. Like what? the front rows got dinner, but the back rows, there was no food available for purchase. So by the time the person came up to us, they were like, either you can have a Kit Kat bar or a cup of coffee. That was all they had left. And just seems like a strange business model. <laughs> <laughs> no, they probably could have sold food for like. 20 times the price and gotten takers because this is like a six hour flight luckily i had the instant noodles so we were able to just get by with that so remember wait wait, wait. So do you pack a thermos with hot water no no you get them to bring the boiling water because most airplanes are good for that but it's it's very convenient and if you do buy it buy the ones that come in a bowl so you don't have to even worry about a container that's good advice instant noodles that's a great idea yes excellent speaking of things to bring on a plane mm -hmm. uh Bring gum for your kids to chew to help them with that sensation of their ears popping when they're flying. 
when you fly, you get that uncomfortable sensation sometimes in your ears, that, that popping feeling. That's generally worse in kids. You know what I'm talking about? Yes, yes. The eustachian tube gets plugged up. Yeah, eustachian tubes, normally they connect your ears to your throat and adjust the pressure behind your eardrum when the environment changes. But for kids, these tubes are more narrow and don't work as well in an airplane. Right. So they actually feel more pain than we do when the air pressure fluctuates. Right. So when, they're, when you're ascending or descending most of the time, right? Exactly. That's when the pressure changes are the most dramatic. Now, for babies, feeding or nursing helps to equalize that uh, pressure behind the eardrum. And for older kids, chewing gum is supposed to help or at least distract them. My kids still find gum kind of a, kind of a treat. Good advice. Good advice. Don't bring, don't bring your child's favorite toy on an airplane if you can possibly avoid it. Because <laughs> they're going to lose it on the trip. Precisely. That is it. Exactly. Kids, well, my kids at least, will get so excited at the prospect of bringing a special bear or doll on the trip that's like a part of our family and is going to experience <laughs> the whole flight with us. But if your child has a toy that they need to know is safe and secure before they can fall asleep at night, then convincing them that that toy has to stay behind and guard the house can save you a lot of headaches. That sounds kind of familiar because I I. I went around the Loblaws parking lot like 15 times a few weeks ago trying to find my son's penguin, and uh, he's officially MIA now. So are you buying a replacement penguin, or is your kid learning a hard life lesson? We bought a replacement, but he doesn't seem too attached to it. But actually, he didn't seem to care that much. So really, the parents are the one learning the life lesson. It's time to let the penguin go. Nice. Uh, uh, so I should change my advice. In fact, bring those toys that you want your kids to outgrow. <laughs> Right. As an adult, don't bring the toys you want to keep because you're the one that's attached to them. That's right. Hey, uh, related to the idea of ears popping in a plane, do you ever get this question from your patients? Uh, okay, my child has an ear infection. Is it safe to fly with an ear infection? Actually, you know what? I've been preparing to answer that question my whole medical career because when I was a resident, the staff I was with like in the eMERGE got asked this question like a couple times. And then he gave some fancy answer about how like, well, it depends on if there's an effusion in the ear and blah, blah, blah. And then, and then no one has ever asked me that in the 13 years I've been practicing. I've been waiting to spin this answer out. It's funny you don't get this question in the family medicine setting. I, I get this not infrequently in the emergency department. It's, it's, it's probably from families who are at a loss for where to go the weekend before their big trip when their kids suddenly get sick <laughs> and they need someone to fix them before they're a few thousand dollars in the hole for flight tickets. So that they can, so they can talk, poison them with all the screen time and all this junk food. <laughs> <laughs> so I have had to look up the answer to this question, and there isn't a lot of hard data, but people have published their experience in a series of case reports. So it seems that if the ear infection is being treated, there's very little risk in flying with an ear infection. Right. There is a chance that the ear might start to hurt more, and there have been some rare cases of the eardrum rupturing. So if I have a patient with really extreme findings on their exam, I might suggest that they hold off on the flight if they can. But for the vast majority of people, it's just fine. And really, it, it pretty much has to be for most people because they can't afford to cancel their flight anyway. Great. That's good advice. I will wait another 13 years to dispense it to an actual patient. <laughs> the, the, the next patient that asked me about that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell him, like, have you talked to your family doctor about this? <laughs> Since we're on the subject of medication and flights, um, what's your thought about giving kids medication to settle them for flights? Like, I don't know a lot of adults will take like a benzodiazepine or an Ativan to help them sleep on the plane. What about children? 
So you realize that in asking me this, we are going into territory that is uh, a highly emotional and controversial area, at, at least as far as the internet is concerned. <laughs> well, that's pretty much every topic on the internet is controversial. Too true, too true. So I'm sure whatever answer I give, we're going to alienate half of our families, <laughs> which I guess is either your wife or mine. <laughs> Don't worry, we've already alienated them enough. Well, so here's my thought. Uh, for me, I feel like medicating my kids for a long flight uh, would be a slippery slope. I mean, first, I'm giving them Benadryl, which in North America, that's diphenhydramine. It's something else in other parts of the world. Or I'm giving them gravel to get them sleepy on a plane so they're not disturbing anybody and we're having a nice flight. And then I start to think, hey, if that works well on a plane... Why not at a restaurant? <laughs> and then the next thing you know, I'm drugging my kids to sleep at 2 o'clock in the afternoon on a Saturday while I play Nintendo. <laughs> I mean, this is not going to stop until my wife and I are flying on a plane to Jamaica with all four kids fast asleep in their beds back home. <laughs> I'm going to point out to our listeners that me and Dr. Harmon, we're both kind of anti-giving kids medications, if you haven't figured that part out yet. And before you take offense to our approach, keep in mind that these are just our opinions. And we are for giving medications when necessary. But if you're feeling like, hey, these two don't understand what it's like to take a hyperactive kid on a 13-hour flight when they're stone-cold lucid, uh, I should point out we do have colleagues who do sedate their kids with medication on on long flights. So if you're a listener that wants to hear a doctor say it's okay to drug your kids for air travel, I can find you doctors who will say that. Maybe they won't say it on record, but I, I know they have definitely said it, and I, I know they have definitely done it. But, but how about you, Dave? What, what do you say about pharmaceutical sleep aids for flying? With parents, I usually am okay with the parents taking sleeping aids. Children, I'm always a little bit leery of it. I mean, Kids, if they're tired enough, will eventually fall asleep on planes. Like my kids, eventually, you know, they'll be excited on the plane and they'll be looking at the computer screen. But eventually when they're tired, they'll shut down. So I don't even know if it's like you're trying to get them to sleep. You're just kind of drugging them up so that they'll stay quiet for the sake of not bothering the people in the seat next to them. To me, that seems like a little excessive. Well, neither the Canadian Pediatric Society or the American Academy of Pediatrics specifically recommend using medications for air travel. They seem to be taking the perspective that these medications can have side effects, which is always the cost of taking a medication, uh, but that some of these side effects could be particularly unpleasant in the air, uh, things like diarrhea or sedation to the point where it affects their, uh, their breathing. Uh, also, these medications aren't, uh, even under regular circumstances, uh, usually recommended for children under the age of two. And gravel in particular can have the unfortunate side effect of what you call a paradoxical reaction, where instead of sedating the child, it makes them super hyperactive and wild. So it does seem prudent if you are going to give your child one of these medications before a flight that you do a trial dose well before you get on a plane, just in case your kid is one of the few who's going to turn into a hyperactive diarrhea monster. <laughs> Do you have any advice for people who are flying like across time zones, like changing locations, like adjusting their kids' sleep in advance of the trip? In advance of the trip, I would just say try to make sure the children sleep well and are properly rested for the trip. 
you might think it would be smart in certain circumstances to keep the kids awake and tired before they get on the plane so that when they get on the plane, they'll fall asleep and then potentially wake up appropriately in the new time zone. They would just adjust. Yeah. Uh, we certainly thought that was smart and we were so wrong that that blew up in our face. Uh, we kept them uh, awake and tired before they got on the plane. Then on the plane, they still didn't sleep properly. And so we got there, they were just twice as tired and cranky as they otherwise would have been. <laughs> uh, from a medicine point of view, though, it has been shown that when you go to a new time zone, if you can uh, expose yourself to sunlight, it does help you to get your biological clock uh, more into rhythm of the new time zone quicker. It helps with jet lag. Right. So instead of going straight to the hotel room or doing an inside activity, it's it's great if you can bring the kids outside when you when you get to your destination. Right. Now, can I just take a minute to address anyone who may be flying without kids? Uh, we are sorry. Please forgive us and, and try to understand. Well, I'd like to point out that they were children too at some point. True. And we all were. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you may remember yourself as being adorable when you were given those cute little uh, miniature captain wings, but that only kept you entertained for two minutes, and then you were annoying somebody on that plane. Right, and you were doing it in a day and age before iPads were invented. Right. So it could have only been worse than what it is now. You know, I was on a plane once, standing in line for the laboratory with my son in my arms. We'd been stranded on the tarmac for an extended period of time, so he, like most of the people on the plane, really had to pee. So... <laughs> There was one person standing in front of us, and we would have been next. Then my son announces, loud enough for everyone to hear, oh, Daddy, I really have to pee right now. I can't wait. <laughs> uh, the guy in front turns around and looks at us, and I was sort of hoping he would actually say, well, you guys just go ahead. And I got the sense he was sort of thinking, you know, if that boy wets his pants in front of all these people, it's going to be kind of embarrassing. But if I, a grown man, pee my pants, it's going to be way worse. So <laughs> screw you guys. <laughs> and then my son proceeds to soak the both of us through his pants, down my shirt, on my pants, right through to the underoos. In all fairness, to bring this episode full circle, that man probably had benign prostatic hypertrophy. <laughs> it's an actual medical condition. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think he was sitting in the aisle. He had an aisle seat. <laughs> I think that takes us to the final bit of travel advice for parents, which is the most important part of getting a quality flight or airplane trip done is to make sure you book a day or two off work ah, after you get home. Yeah, yeah. Because these trips are invariably exhausting, mm -hmm. don't go according to plan, and if you are lucky enough to be able to send your kids off to school or preschool or daycare, after you get back and you can soak it in and enjoy your rest for a day or two after, that's the, when the real vacation begins. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that brings us to the end of this week's episode. We hope you enjoyed yourselves as much as we did. If you like what you heard, please tune in next week. And if you really like what you heard, uh, we have a bonus segment coming right up. Uh, isn't that right, Dave? We have a second part of our episode. We're going we're gonna to field a mailbag question from... A friend of my wife's who my wife was going around telling people about that we were going to do a podcast about parenting and one of her colleagues at work who we're just going to call Fred from Toronto wanted to know when is a good time for a dad to start going out at night for a boy's night out after your wife has a baby and the story of it is that I think his wife is about nine months they have a nine month old okay and when the kid was about to be born he asked my wife he's like 
like, uh, what do I do? Like, I want to support my wife through this. And my wife said, you got to be there for her. You got to get up every time she gets up at night, be home every night. Right. Yeah. And so she really ripped into him and he's been following these orders like religiously apparently, but he's exhausted. So he comes in asking for our help now. So medical dads, we got to give him some advice. Medical dad advice. When is it okay for the dad to go out with the boys after their wife has had a baby? Right. Okay. Just for a night out. Just for a night out. So the answer to that question is one week after your wife has gone out with the girls uh, for the second time is a good time (laughs) for you to go out with the boys. Wow. That's very specific. Well, you don't want to screw this up. If you wait longer than a week, then she might forget that she was even out with the girls. <laughs> and if you go too soon, well, that just might be too soon. Right. That just feels like tit for tat. You got to be a little more subtle than that. That's right. That's right. And that, that's why you wait till she's gone out twice. Okay. So what happened when you had kids? Like, is that what you did? Or is this something spoken from experience of not knowing what to do? Well, I wish I had thought at the time to run a few computer simulations first. But in the end, I'm going to say that I, I intuited this one myself. Although, truthfully, after we had kids, I didn't really have any friends anymore, so it didn't really come So up. this is a hypothetical thing. <laughs> That's right. For me, it was sort of like, when, when did I go out for a work function? How old's your oldest daughter now? Uh, she just, tur- well, not just, but she turned nine in March. Okay, so it's been about nine years, and I think I've seen you like two times in the last nine years. I think that sounds about right. Yeah, yeah, the math works out. Now, another trick, if you want some social time, is to make friends with other people who have kids. That, uh, that, that opens up a couple opportunities there. Mm, mm. But then you're just having kids' playdates. But, but yeah, that's, that's pretty much all of being a father when you have young kids. It's just living <laughs> through their experiences. So the answer really is to tell Fred that it's never okay to go out at night and you're just going to have to settle for playdates for other people with other people that are your wife's friends who have children. Well, I, I think there, there really is something to the idea of if you can, if you can get your wife out there, uh, then it's becomes much more acceptable for you to go out. But if you try to do it the other way around, it's not going to work. You can sort of say like, look, you've already been out 14 times. Can I just go out one time? Yeah, I maybe wouldn't say it in, in that voice. And I, I don't recommend keeping score as such. <laughs> uh, but if your wife's if your wife's gone out and had had some fun and is feeling good, then she's going to probably want you to uh, to go out and do the same thing. Right. I have I have a good story about this. When my daughter was born, it, she was born in December and that January we were we were starting another basketball season like I used to play in like a recreational men's league and we'd play one game a week so the season was starting in January so my daughter was probably four or five weeks old and the thing you have to understand is our team was pretty bad like we'd gone through a couple of seasons that we had really struggled like the season before my daughter was born we won one game and lost 13 so it was like a bad team (laughs) ouch and that the new season was starting and I was actually the manager of the team, but I was, I wasn't sure how much I was going to get to play. Cause you know, I had a newborn and the night of like, we had already lost the first two games. So the third game, like one of my buddies was like, was like, I'm going to, I'm going to bring one of my friends to play with us tonight because we were a guy short. Cause I, my brother-in-law was away. So I was like, okay, okay. And I get home and my wife's like, like my daughter was refusing to breastfeed properly. Like that was her thing. And, and my wife was like up in arms. So I told, I, I told my friend, like, you know, tonight you go to the game, come to my house, pick up the Jersey and you go, I'm not coming. Okay, right? right. 
And then I don't know what happened, but at some point my wife and I, we were, we weren't really arguing, but she was like, okay, fine. Just go, just go to the game. <laughs> right. And then I was like, okay, okay, sure. I'll <laughs> yeah, go to the game. And before she could change her mind, I left <laughs> and I, and I went to the game and it was a crazy game. Like that guy that came in scored 31 points. Awesome. We beat the number one team in the league. We broke like a six month losing streak that we'd been on. It was unbelievable. Wow. And I came home and my wife was pissed. Like <laughs> <laughs> she was pissed. Wouldn't hear any of this. I ended up sleeping on the ground. The ground. In, uh, <laughs> the ground. Not even the couch, the ground. Did she lock you out? <laughs> on the ground of the living room. We had some mats for the kids. I slept on that. And then but you know what? What? Seeing that thirty one point game, that was that was the greatest game in the history of our team. <laughs> I still talk about it all the time. So at the end of the day it was worth it. Oh my gosh! Well, I'm I'm glad that you smoothed things over, and this didn't become the the medical single dads podcast. <laughs> but before anyone tries to follow in your footsteps, uh, the uh, listeners need to know how long did it take before things smoothed over? Well, yeah, let get, it takes a long time to get out of the doghouse at the end of the day like that. So I'm gonna maybe suggest a different <laughs> approach to the whole needing to get out of the house thing. I think after you have a baby, it's most important to try to get out of the house with your wife, like get out together with your wife. What, what does that have to do with playing basketball? Uh, it's got nothing to do with playing basketball, <laughs> unless you and your wife both play basketball. So you're talking about going out with your wife for a date or something like that? Yeah, absolutely. As opposed to the first question after the baby born being, when can I go out with the boys? It, <laughs> it's, it's probably better to ask, when can I get out with my wife? You know, because you can't just leave babies home alone, I would expect that most couples find they go out individually uh, long before they get the opportunity to go out for a date night just as a couple without bringing the baby with them. Now, if you can find some way to get some alone time with your wife out of the house, then she'll be happier. You may find that you don't need to hang out with the boys quite so much. And eventually you may get the chance to make more babies and start the whole cycle all over again. <laughs> Well said, well said. I think that takes us pretty much to the end of our episode today. Indeed, indeed. We hope you enjoyed this bonus content. And if you submit your own questions through our website, then perhaps we'll feature them in a future mailbag Q&A. See you in a week.